In her popular children's book, Beezes and Ramona, Beverly Cleary tells the fictional story of Beatrice and Ramona Quimby, sisters living in Portland, Oregon. At one point in the story, Beatrice, the older and more responsible sibling, finds four-year-old Ramona hiding in the basement of their house. Ramona was sitting on the floor beside a box of apples. Lying around her on the cement floor were a number of apples, each with one bite out of them. While Beezus stared, Ramona reached into the box, selected an apple, took one bite out of the reddest part, and tossed the rest of the apple onto the floor. While she noisily chewed that bite, she reached into the, she reached into the apple box again. Ramona cried Beezus, horrified, you can't do that. I can too, said Ramona through her mouthful. Stop it, ordered Beezus. Stop it this instant. You can't eat one bite and then throw the rest away. But the first bite tastes best, explained Ramona reasonably as she reached into the box again. End quote. Among Ramona's many lovable qualities is her candor. The first time we do something, it can seem like an adventure. Its novelty is part of its appeal. But once we've done it a few hundred times, the novelty is gone, and so is much of the thrill of doing it. When we hear in the first verse of our second lesson from Hebrews 13, let mutual love continue, we're reminded that a big part of love is what happens once the object of our love has become familiar to us. It's how we treat them after the first bite, after the novelty has worn off. Do we cast them aside like Ramona does with the apples, or do we persevere in our devotion, even when we don't feel like it, so that mutual love may continue, as God tells us in Hebrews 13. In that passage, we're given several examples of love, from hospitality to strangers, to remembering people who are in prison and being tortured, to honoring marriage and the faithfulness it requires, to contentment and keeping ourselves free from the love of money, to doing good and sharing what we have. All this is a tall order for any one person to do, and fortunately Hebrews is not written to a single person but to a Christian community. None of us can love and serve everyone in every way, but all of us can love and serve a few people in a few ways. The challenge is continuing to do so once the initial novelty and enthusiasm have evaporated. To continue in love is a mark of maturity. It's the difference between a child like Ramona and a grown-up. Mature people are those who, for the love of those who depend on them, persevere in their work long after it has stopped being fun. To continue, to persist, to persevere in mutual love is the ambitious mission given to us in Hebrews 13. For those of us who wish that God would reveal his will for our lives by speaking to us directly, in Hebrews 13, our wish is fulfilled. 
a command with a detailed description of what love in action looks like and specific instructions of what to do. The let mutual love continue command in verse 1 is followed by 18 verses of disconcertingly specific examples. Our second lesson includes only nine of those verses. But those nine are enough to keep us occupied for the rest of our natural lives and then some. In fact, just the first directive, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, is more than enough for a lifetime. Because there's no shortage of strangers. We could easily fill our days just trying to offer them hospitality. Then there's remembering those who are in prison and those who are being tortured. Staying faithful in marriage, free from the love of money, and content with what we have. These are much more than mere platitudes. They are specific instructions requiring persistent, difficult effort. So we need to be careful what we wish for. The good news of verses 5 and 6 is that it is not all up to us. We share our burdens with one another, and God has promised never to leave us or forsake us. And so we can say with confidence, The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can anyone do to me? Those words are worth memorizing so that we can repeat them when we're discouraged by the magnitude of the task and our, and our failure to fulfill it. That confidence sustains us in the tedium, the frustration, and exhaustion that often come with day-in, day-out faithfulness. And in the matter of faithfulness, or lack thereof, we are very like the people of ancient Israel, as recorded in the Old Testament, who spent a lot of time asking God if he was really there, and if he really cared about them, and if so, to reveal himself in a concrete and tangible way. And then... When God brings them out of slavery in Egypt and gives them detailed instructions through Moses about how to live, brings them back to the promised land, and eventually gives them the king that they request, many Israelites desert the true God for false gods, taking up paganism and casting the Lord aside like an apple from which they've taken their first and best-tasting bite. Today's first lesson makes it clear that the Lord was not happy about this. In Jeremiah 2, verse 5, the Lord asks Israel some pointed questions. What wrong did your ancestors find in me that they went far from me and went after worthless things and became worthless themselves? They did not say, Where is the Lord who brought us up from the land of Egypt, who led us in the wilderness, in a land of deserts and pits, in a land of drought and deep darkness, in a land that no one passes through, where no one lives? I brought you to a plentiful land, to eat its fruits and its good things. But when you entered, you defiled my land and made my heritage an abomination. Like us... Israel had a habit of crying out to God in its distress, promising its undying faithfulness, and then, after seeing that faithfulness, going its own way, though they had been rescued, persisting, continuing, persevering is difficult. It's the difference between a sprint and a marathon. 
But we're not alone in our persistence, for God persists with us, even when we flake out and wander off. In fact, God is the very model of persistence. In the words of Psalm 145, He is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast, that is, persistent and enduring love. When we fall, God's arms are wide open, welcoming us to return home to Him in repentance. He is generous with forgiveness and eager to pick us up, dust us off, and set us on the, once again on the straight and narrow way of faithfulness. And if I've made that way sound like a drag, it isn't. To walk in the way of the Lord is what it means to live in freedom. It requires perseverance and sacrifice, but it comes with rich rewards and abundant harvest of the fruit of the Spirit. We can take pleasure not only in what we consume, but also in what we produce for our neighbor's benefit. Jesus is quoted in Acts 20, verse 35, as saying, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And so often we fail to believe him and suffer as a result of our unwillingness or inability to take joy in providing for others. We worry that sacrificing for others will cause us to miss out on living a full life. And thus, we get confused and disoriented about what the best things in life really are, not least, loving and being loved. Thanks be to God, then, for his steadfast love for us and for giving us a way of life that really is life.